Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 63, 1-6 called, I Have Trodden the Winepress Alone. Father, we are grateful to be a family tonight, grateful that we can extend the gospel uh, all over the globe, uh, in our own Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You are worthy of our investment because you invested in us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you've told us to occupy until you come. So we want to be busy about your business. And one of the ways that we get energized to do that is in Bible study. We grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We learn more about you, more about the past, more about the future. We also learn more about what it means to follow you. And that's what we want to do, Father. We want to follow you faithfully. So strengthen your people tonight. We rejoice in what you are doing in our midst, and we just give you all the glory. Pray you'll guide this Bible study by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 63 is what you want tonight. Isaiah 63. We're doing a verse-by-verse study, and we've gotten all the way to the 63rd chapter. And in that chapter, the prophet Isaiah is going to open with a question. And here's the question. He says, who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Basra? This one who is majestic in his apparel, 63.1, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, and notice this, mighty to save. Now we've been singing a song uh, probably in the last year or two called Mighty to Save. And in Isaiah 63.1, the Lord is speaking, and the Lord says those words, I am mighty to save. I am mighty to bring salvation to my people. I am mighty to extend my gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what he does. He is mighty to save. And in this particular context, what we're looking at is the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he will save in a couple of different senses, yes, he saves our souls in terms of our spiritual well-being. But in this particular scene in Isaiah 63.1, he is returning to actually save his people from the world and from the armies, I believe, of the Antichrist. And Jesus will show up in this gleaming apparel, in majestic apparel. He is marching in greatness, the greatness of his strength, and he is mighty to save. Now to set the table, go back to Isaiah 61. When Jesus shared this at the synagogue in Nazareth, remember he stopped, Isaiah 61.1, at the first part of verse two. Let me just give you the verses one more time. The spirit of the Lord, Isaiah 61, one, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, verse two, Isaiah 61, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. At that point, Jesus closed the book or rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant. He did not continue because at his first coming, he came to die for the sin of the world. And he said, today in your hearing, that scripture is, remember, 
fulfilled. It was written 700 years before Jesus was ever born. He stopped because the second part of his mission, and this is his second coming, and you could divide uh, verse two into the first and second comings. The favorable year of the Lord has commenced from the time Jesus died and rose again, and we've been in a year of favor. We compared that year of favor to the year of Jubilee. And people are now being set free by Christ all over the globe. But there's a day coming, and it's the latter half of verse two, There's a day coming when there's going to be the day of vengeance of our God. And that day of vengeance includes the idea of saving. The reason that day of vengeance will come, notice, is to comfort all who mourn. There will be much mourning uh, anticipating this day and even in the as a precursor to this day because remember what precedes the return of Jesus Christ is Daniel's 70th week. It's also called in the book of Jeremiah the time of Jacob's trouble. It will be a time of great distress, according to Daniel 12, 1 and 2, such as has never been seen. And there will be a terrible time for the nation of Israel, and it will radiate out from Jerusalem. And when Jesus comes and brings the day of vengeance of our God, it will bring a comforting to all who mourn. Remember, when we read the end of Revelation, there will be no more mourning, right? One of those things that will be eliminated and probably... um, certainly be uh, revved up and become more uh, profound and terrible, I, I guess you would say, more mourning is going to happen in this time, to grant those who mourn notice in Zion, and here's the divine turnarounds, to give them a garland or a crown instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. Imagine people going through this time, you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast, So people will be fainting, people will be mourning, it will be a very difficult time. He will give them the spirit of praise though instead of the the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, notice, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. At the end of chapter 62, we saw these words and this is another anticipation of the coming of the Lord. Notice it says in 62, 11 and 12, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, 6211, say to the daughter of Zion, lo, notice, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him. We compared these verses to Revelation 22, when Jesus says, my reward is with me, my recompense is with me. Uh, Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. And they will call him, call them thy holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called, sought out, notice, a city not forsaken. And in, if we think of an end time scenario, think of um, the Jewish people dealing with this terrible time of persecution, this terrible time of dealing with the lies of Antichrist, and they will be in a situation where they will wonder, has our God left us? And I'm gonna show you in these verses how I think this projects into the future. And we've talked about in prophecy studies in the past how there's going to be a group of Jewish people who survive. There are many scholars that believe they will be in the land in the area of Petra, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And they will be hiding. And there will be mourning, there will be fainting, but there will be something else. There will be a question similar to the question that occurred in the Exodus. Does God remember us? 
Does he care about us? And the the message that Moses and Aaron brought to the children of Israel early in the book of Exodus is that God does care about you. And when the people heard that God cared about them, they fell down and worshiped the Lord. Now, of course, we know they were very fickle after that. But they, they were heartened and encouraged after 400 years. Let me say that again. 400 years of slavery that the Lord had not forgotten about them. And all of a sudden, as Isaiah paints the picture now, he asks a question about this one that has appeared in the distance. Who is this, 63-1, who comes from Edom? Now, Edom sprung from Esau, and they were known as the Edomites. And this was this region that does exist today, and it's in the southern part of Jordan. It's south of Jerusalem, and it's a little bit south of what we call the Sea of Salt or the Dead Sea. And in that area today, you can go there today, and for those of you who have seen the third Indiana Jones movie, was it the, uh, they were looking for the Holy Grail, whatever it was called. Anyway, there you saw some footage of Petra. It was literally known as the Red Rock City, and it's really in many ways, an impenetrable fortress. And uh, it has the, the cutouts that you see in the movie, and you can enter into that. And I think there's only actually one way to go in. And so notice that what happens. This one is coming from Edom. I mentioned Petra, Petra because Edom and Petra are basically in the same region. I think Petra in the Bible was known as Selah. It was never called Petra in the Bible, but that's that region, kind of a mountainous region. The region of Edom and Petra are basically in the same place. Now think with me. When Jesus Christ returns to the earth, he's going to come to save his people, and his people are the Jewish people. He's also going to rescue, obviously, the church, those of us who have been grafted in. And if the children of Israel are hiding in Petra, which according to Revelation 12, they will go and hide from the serpent, Uh, You can look at verse six there. Then I believe that Jesus will be moving through this area of Edom and Petra to save his people, and then he will come toward the Mount of Olives. What you have to do is picture Israel. You're talking the south part. He would then go up to Jerusalem uh, from the book of Ezekiel, enter through the east gate, but just adjacent to the east gate is the Mount of Olives. And so you can see the east gate from the Mount of Olives, and the book of Zechariah tells us that he will plant his feet where? on the Mount of Olives, and the mountain will split. So this is the second coming of Jesus Christ, but his second coming includes the fact that he is a warrior. Um, This could be, and there's some debate on the timing of the Battle of Armageddon, but this could be Jesus coming to that Battle of Armageddon, coming to deal with the armies of the earth, coming to rescue his people who have been in hiding, and to deal the death blow to the enemies of God. Notice how he's dressed Who is this who comes from Edom? He's got, notice, garments of glowing colors from Basra, uh, which was one of the the main cities there uh, in Edom. This one who is, notice, he is majestic in his apparel. If you compare 63.1 with 59.17, let me remind you of the garments he has on there. 59.17, look with me. It says, and he, speaking of Messiah, Put on righteousness like, think of glowy, glowing or gleaming garments, 5917. He put on righteousness like a breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head. And we compared this to the armor of God in Ephesians 6 in a previous study. He put on garments of what? 
vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal, zealousness, as a mantle. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a long-time listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Think of glowy, glowing or gleaming garments, 5917. He put on righteousness like a breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head, and we compared this to the armor of God in Ephesians 6 in a previous study. He put on garments of what? Vengeance for clothing, and wrapped himself with zeal, zealousness, as a mantle. So this imagery ties both, notice the dual imagery in 17, 59, 17. It speaks of righteousness and salvation as pieces of his warrior garments, but within that picture of salvation is the idea of vengeance. We don't often, again, compare vengeance with salvation, but in the last day scenario, that's precisely what will be happening. God will come to rescue his people and to pour his wrath on the unbelieving world. And that is what's going to happen in the last days. So salvation takes on kind of a different nuance in this sense, because now Jesus is coming literally to save people from the threats and the uh, hand of the enemy. And so here comes Jesus, and he is all of a sudden marching in this greatness of his strength, 63-1, and then notice it says, it is I, it makes me think of the times when Jesus You know, remember when he was walking on the water and the disciples were freaked out and he said, it is I, don't be afraid. Well, here the Lord describes who he is. He says, it's me, it's I who speak in righteousness and then he gives us this great line, mighty to save. He is mighty to save. And it's an awesome thing about our Lord. And then a a second question comes. Why is your 63-2, why is your apparel, your garments, red? And you're a garments like the one who treads in the wine press. Now, as Isaiah takes a closer look, a second question comes. The first question has been answered. The Lord says, it's me, the one who's mighty to save, the Savior, God, Messiah. That's who this is, if you wondered, the one coming from the area of Edom and Petra. It's I. 
But second thing he says is, he says, well, then why is your apparel red? Your garments like the one who treads in the wine press. Now, my understanding of an ancient wine press is that you'd have basically a quarried out stone and they would put the grapes in there. And if any of you have seen the old I Love Lucy, uh, you know, that's probably the best image we can get. You know, she's in that big wooden uh, grape tub thing and, and there they are smashing the grapes. And if you like the music, it's... But anyway, and so... As they step on the grapes, of course, it produces the the grape juice and then ultimately the wine. This one that comes from the area there in southern Jordan, well, his garments look like he's been in the wine press. And what would be some of the things we think about in a wine press? Well, whatever garment you decided to wear, it'd be kind of like what you wore when you decided to paint your house. Those garments are going to be stained. Well, here he looks like he's been treading on grapes and the spatter has come up to his garments. And some have suggested that the raiment that he has on is white, kind of like the Day of Atonement, white uh, priestly garments, which may well be. But he, his raiment has been spattered uh, with what looks like grape juice. It looks as though, as though he has been uh, trotting on the grapes. And Edom, to round out the image, is, uh, has also been kind of defined by scholars as representing the world. Remember the struggle between Esau and who? Who was his brother? Jacob, right? So Esau and Jacob were always kind of going at each other. Even in the womb, there was a wrestling match. There were two nations. And so scholars have said, if you trace Edom beyond Esau and even beyond the Edomites, Edom begins to take on this image. Think of it now. This image of the world's struggle with Jacob, Israel. And right now we know that Jacob or Israel surrounded with a bunch of Esau's that really want, and remember at one point Esau was so upset with Jacob over the birthright that he had stolen and uh, what was the other thing? The blessing and the birthright that uh, he wanted to kill his brother. And in this sense, Edom takes on, it's a specific group of people, but then it takes on a further image of the nations, those angry at Jacob. And, and it, it does make you wonder when you think of Israel's current plight, why so many people are mad at them. But they don't think, you know, there are countries all around Israel right now. And of course, we know there's leadership changes happening in Egypt now and, you know, up to the north in Syria and Lebanon. There's a lot of stuff going on. And Jacob continues to be troubled by Esau and Esau's threats. And so think of it this way. The Messiah is coming to deal with Edom in that sense as well. To save Jacob. Jacob feels like, and he did in his own walk with the Lord, Jacob feels like he's between the rock and the hard place, right? He's got Esau coming after him. And when Jacob, in the book of Genesis, was wrestling with that whole thing, remember, he literally wrestled with God one night, and he never walked the same after that. Remember, I told you that in ancient times, they would grab the thigh, and that grabbing of the thigh was basically, I promise on my posterity and your future children, I will keep my oath and many believe that what happened to Jacob is he wrestled with God and he said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And God went, mm, and said, okay, here's my oath. I will be true to my promises. And right now, Jacob, Israel as a nation continues to be in that place of difficulty. But God, listen, this is important, 
will keep his promise. I will bless you. I will multiply your uh, descendants as the stars of the heaven. I will be faithful to my promises. I have made an oath. I will bless you. And that whole picture of Jacob is a picture that will move us into the future times. God says in Isaiah 63, 3, I have trodden the wine trough, and every other version outside the NAS that I read says wine press. I have trodden it alone. Now, when you think of the second coming of Jesus Christ, there's some different views. One view says the church is coming with Jesus. There are clear scriptures that say all the angels are coming with Jesus, so that we know. And and I'm not going to debate that right now. The church could come back with the Lord. I don't lean that way. I think it's the angels, the armies of heaven, I believe, are the angels coming with the Lord. But when the Lord comes and does what he does in this setting, he does it alone. Now, what does the alone mean? Well, I think that it may mean that there's no other nation helping Israel. Now, go to your right, pass up Jeremiah Lamentations, and go to Ezekiel, just before Daniel. Go to Ezekiel 38. Now, if you want to look at the end time nations, the list of nations that people often talk about that will make up the end times um, group that invades Israel, it's found in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But for our purposes tonight, we're going to skip ahead, Ezekiel 38 to verse 13. Now it says, Sheba 38.13 of Ezekiel and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages. Um, One version says with its young lions, Ezekiel 38.13. By the way, this is the only place that biblical scholars believe may be a mention of the United States. Ezekiel 38.13. And they get that from the idea of Tarshish being the farthest west um, land that was known and then kind of a, the offspring of that. And again, I'm not going to be dogmatic on that, but, but you'll be interested to know when you see these particular nations that are mentioned, you have the, the merchants of Tarshish, which um, many connected eventually to Britain, with all its villages say to you, and here's what they're going to say to these invading nations. Have you come to capture spoil, middle of 13? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder? They're asking questions to carry away silver, gold, to take away cattle and goods, to capture great spoil. Now the nations are pictured, those that are not part of this coalition invading Israel, they're asking, what are you doing? There's questions being shot to the coalition of nations, but they don't do anything. So if this is a mention of some of the, let's just say, nations to the west, whoever they are, they don't do anything. All they do is ask questions of the invading forces. What are you doing? What are you going there for? But there's no intervention. 14. Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on the day when my people Israel are living securely, will you know it? And you will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north. This is why I think the majority of scholars believe this is Russia, right to the north of Israel. You and many peoples with you, a coalition all of them riding on horses, a great assembly, and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. And it will come about, notice, in the last days, 
that I shall bring you against my land. God is behind this. In order that the nations may know me when I shall be sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. 17. Thus says the Lord God, are you the one of whom I spoke in former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you against them? And it will come about on that day when Gog comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in my anger. Now this is the wrath of God. And in my, what's the word? Zeal or jealousy. The word can mean jealousy or zealousness. And in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day, there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. And the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep on the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. Second coming, I believe here. The mountains also will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse and every uh, wall will fall to the ground. This is obviously a future event. And I shall call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. And with pestilence and with, notice, blood, I shall enter into judgment. Think of his garments spattered with blood with him. And I shall rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. And I shall magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. Wow. Go back to Isaiah. So when the Lord comes, there is obviously going to be some major bloodshed. And since Jesus is passing through nations that surround Israel right now in the image of Edom, those enemies are going to be dealt with directly by Jesus Christ himself. So the nations that we see amassing, you know, whatever kind of nuclear weapons they want or whatever threats they want, ultimately, and I don't know when this is going to happen, but it's yet future, the one that will deal with the enemies of Israel is our Savior because he's their Savior too. And so Jesus will show up and he will come in this battle array and he will trod the winepress alone, 63.3 of Isaiah. And from the peoples, there, there was no man with me. Notice from the peoples, I take that as the surrounding nations or nations of the world. No one was in their corner, in Israel's corner. I also trod them in my anger. And here's the image of the, the grapes spattering up trampled them in my wrath and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments and I stained all my raiment. Now go to Isaiah 34 with me and look at verse one. This is day of the Lord imagery and when we study the day of the Lord we see it's the day, not a literal 24 hour day, but the day when the Lord saves his people and then brings his vengeance So I believe the salvation of his people will precede the day of the Lord. And here he talks about, in a last day's context, something very similar, and we'll see an offering mentioned in the land of Basra. Notice Isaiah 34, verse one. Draw near, O nations, to hear and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains, 34, one, hear in the world and all that springs from it. 
For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them and he's given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out, their corpses will give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood. And all the host of heaven, notice the last day scenario. This is obviously the future. All the host of heaven will wear away. This is similar to Revelation 6. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. For my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment, here it is again, upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is sated with fat with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra. There's that city again. And a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall also fall with them and young bulls with strong ones. Thus their land shall be soaked with blood. I know this is gross, but it's reality. And their dust become greasy with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Now, if you fast forward with me, go in your Bible to Revelation chapter eight, last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter eight. So there's a buildup in Revelation six. You have the seven seals, they're broken, and then world events are unfolding until we get to the sixth seal. Go to Revelation six first. The sixth seal says these words. Compare this, taking scripture with scripture, to Isaiah 34. And I looked, 6.12, Revelation, when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, think of Ezekiel 38. The sun became black, a sackcloth made of hair. The whole moon became like blood. This is the day of the Lord. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky, uh, Revelation 6.14, was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne And notice this, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath, Father and Son here, has come or is about to commence, and who is able to stand? In Revelation 7, you have the ceiling of the 144,000. You have this big group that appears in heaven. I've made a case that that's the rapture church. Go to Revelation 8, verse 1. And when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. That silence is anticipatory, and I'm going to share with you two sections in Zephaniah. I just want you to write them down. Zephaniah 1.7 says, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. That's Zephaniah one seven. Now listen to Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, 
the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly. It's a day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. And I will bring distress on men, Zephaniah 117, so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on that day of the Lord's wrath and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete end, a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. And then if you would go forward to Revelation 19, let me show you what everybody agrees is the return of Jesus Christ and notice what happens here. Isaiah 63 is Revelation 19. Notice what it says. This is Revelation 19, 11. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. We always love the guy on the white horse, although uh, the Antichrist rides on a white horse in Revelation 6, but he's a phony. But Jesus is on a white horse. Heaven is opened and behold, look, there's a white horse and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. Aren't you glad? Not a lot of things in this world you can call by those two descriptions. Faithful and true. But let me ask you, are you? Are you? Are you faithful and true? True to your promises, faithful? As much as is possible as a human being trying to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, as I'm growing in the Lord, I'm trying to be those two words at least more consistently. Just to give you hope, John MacArthur said, and and this is one we all need to remember, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. You might want to write that down. It's not about perfection. You're never going to be perfect. It's about direction. Is your life moving in a direction to become more faithful and more true, more like him? And in righteousness, he's the righteous one. It is I, remember? He judges and wages war. His eyes... Well, they're a flame of fire. And upon his head are many diadems. He's got crowns. Uh, In the ancient warfare, when they would defeat an army, an ancient army, they would take the crown of the conquered king and the other king that was the victor would wear it. That was kind of a sign that you had conquered him. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. Revelation 19, 13. He is clothed with a robe, what? Dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven could be the angels, clothed in in, uh, fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. I heard one pastor teaching on this passage, and he said, wouldn't it be cool if this is totally literal, and you know, I'll let you be the judge of that. Wouldn't it be cool to have this ride on a white horse from heaven? And one of the ladies said, oh no, I hate heights. It would be horrible. Is there a seat? I don't know. Anyway, I can't tell you. But I think it would be pretty cool. (laughs) And from his mouth come a sharp sword that with it he may smite the nations. And he will rule. Notice he's going to judge and then he will rule. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads, what? The winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, He is 
King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying, to all the birds which fly in mid heaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God. Now this is different than the marriage supper of the lamb. This is a different kind of supper. In order that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders, here's armies, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. But this is going to be a very short war. And the beast 20 was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with a sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse. And all the birds were filled with, all, with their flesh. Wow. All right, back to Isaiah 63. Now, it's obvious that we are not going to get through this chapter because I know you guys don't want to be here till midnight. But this is, this is awesome, isn't it? I mean, it's the, it's the wrath of God, but yet it's also his saving zeal for his people. And he is going to destroy those who do not accept the gospel. See, why are these people being destroyed? Let's ask that question. Because Jesus said, light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's why they won't come to the light. And remember, those verses are right in the section of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. But they reject that. And so the wrath of God, John 3.36, remains on them. And the Lord says, for the day of vengeance, 63.4 in Isaiah, was in my heart. And now the time of execution obviously has come. And my year of redemption has come. Notice both vengeance and redemption in one verse. Isaiah 63, 4. The day of vengeance was in my heart. It's God's plan. My year of redemption has come. When Jesus closed the book in Isaiah 61, it hadn't come, but now, fast forwarding, it has come. The year of redemption may allude to the law of redemption of slaves and property. A close relative had the right and duty to buy back the slave and rescue a family member from destitution. And so the Lord is buying back his people, if you will. This is the year of his redemption. And I looked, 63.5, and there was no one to help. Repetition, no help from anybody else, any other nations. And I was astonished or appalled. And there was no one to uphold. So my own arm, says the Lord, brought salvation to me. And my wrath upheld me. And I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath. If you think of a drunk person, they kind of stagger around and fall. Often God's wrath is called the cup of his wrath. And I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Radical, radical um, judgment that's to come. Now, I want you to go to the book of Joel and we're done for this particular study. So go towards the back of your Old Testament. Pass up Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. You're gonna get to Joel. Go to Joel 3. Now, on the heels of this judgment text, we're gonna see a prayer offered to God 
that will be a rejoicing prayer, and that, that will be a good news study, even though we'll go back and talk about the failures of Israel. But here, we'll end on the day of the Lord note. Here's what it says. Joel three eleven. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, thy mighty ones. Joel three twelve. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit and judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Here's the sign of the day of the Lord. The sun and moon grow dark. The stars lose their brightness. And the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, so Jerusalem will be holy, and strangers will pass through it no more. When we think about the cup of God's wrath, you have a choice as a person. You can drink the cup of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, the new and living way, and when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, rather than drinking the wrath of God, you get to enter into the new covenant of God. Because the wrath of God was satiated or satisfied where? At the cross. So when you drink in the blood of the new covenant, if you will, that's not literal, but you know what I'm saying, what ends up happening is you get new life in you. You drink the cup of the Lord, and you don't want to drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. So you partake of the cup of the Lord, you enter into the new covenant of Jesus Christ, and you don't have to drink the wrath of God because Jesus drank it for you. But the only other option is the cup of his wrath. And so sometimes what we need to be able to articulate to people is, look, there's cup A and cup B. Which do you want to drink from? That's all you got. There's no other third cup. You know, it's not a soda fountain. Where you, I kinda, I like, can I have another option? No, there's no plan C. It's the cup of the wrath of God or the cup of the new covenant. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus took the wrath for you. He became sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we're saved by his blood. We see that all over the New Testament. But if you don't apply that to your life, then you end up drinking the cup of his wrath. And then your blood is shed. And that is the reality of the rejection of those who don't know Jesus Christ. The beauty of his love for those who have entered into the new covenant and the terrible uh, reality of those who reject Jesus Christ. He's going to give people every chance. He's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. But there is a day... And brothers and sisters, you just read the Bible, right? You know that God's gonna make good on this promise. That day is coming. And so what we should tell people is, hey, I've got really good news for you. There's a cup that you can drink that will make you live forever. Or if you don't want that, there's another cup you're going to drink because God is going to deal with sin. And you say, oh, why? Because he's holy. 
See, we have a problem. We're gonna drink the cup of God's wrath unless our sin is dealt with. And he dealt with it. He's paid it in full. Amen? Father, we want to just give you thanks for how good you are. It is good to be in your family. It is good to have drunk from the cup of redemption, to know that you will save us. You will be faithful to your promises. As we look at the land of Israel, the people of Israel, we certainly pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We know that, though that in the end times, Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling for all nations. But you are going to show up in that place where you've put your name forever. And you will restore it. And you will save the remnant of your people. And we know um, as those who have been grafted in, those who are grateful to be partakers of the new covenant, we're just so grateful. We already know you, and we already know how the story ends. And we already know what's ahead of us is that we're going to drink from a cup in your presence, and it's going to be a glorious time. And so may we be people of hope and cheer and good news, yet may we soberly also share the urgency of the gospel with those who don't know you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to I Have Trodden the Winepress Alone on Walk in Truth. And that was Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our Free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station. How long have you been listening? Could you help us pay for some airtime on this station? Help us continue in this ministry by a monthly partnership of at least $5 a month, and that's all we ask. That's like the price of a cup of coffee, unless you get that like really fancy stuff. But anyway, if you're blessed by this ministry and believe others in your community can be too, please visit walkintruth.com now to donate. That's walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael before we go. Well, as you, uh, maybe you're new to the Bible and you have heard a message here about judgment and you're like, well, what's up with that? Isn't the God of the Bible supposed to be a God of love? Yes, he is. He is love, but he is also just. And he has set a day when he will judge the world in righteousness and he will pour judgment on his enemies. Now, that may seem uh, strange to you. For some of you, it doesn't at all. See, the world has really been crying out for judgment. And if you take a look around, brothers and sisters, I think we all know that justice is needed. The good news of the cross is that God poured out his justice on Jesus instead of us. And if we repent and trust in him, we will not come into judgment. We've passed from death to life. But those who don't know him, those who thumb their nose in his face, a day of judgment is coming and God is patient. He doesn't want any to perish, all to come to repentance. But this scene is a judgment scene and this day is coming. And that's why it's important for all of us to repent 
and make things right with the Lord, not because of the threat of judgment, but because we know we've sinned against God and we know how much he loved us. He sent this same Messiah to die that we might live. Oh, won't you cry out to him today? Something like this, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. I know you are just, but you are also amazingly loving. I believe you died on that terrible cross and took the judgment for me. I repent. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you rose from the dead as well. I believe you live, and I want you to be my King, my God, my Lord, my Savior. Well, hey, if you opened your heart to Jesus or rededicated your life, would you let us know? Send us an email at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. Let us know that you prayed or rededicated your life. Hey, if you need help with a Bible or a solid church in your area, reach out to us, contact at walkintruth.com. We'll see you tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 63, 7 through 64, 12, called, Oh, That You Would Rend the Heavens and Come Down. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.